Welcome to Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Serena. And I'm Katie. And today we will be interviewing Maggie Slides. This will be a follow-up to the interview we released just a couple of weeks ago because so much has changed in Maggie's life. Maggie, we're so glad that you're back. Thank you for meeting with us again. Well, thank you for interviewing me again. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do a follow-up. Thank you. We will have you introduce yourself again to anyone who missed the first episode. (laughs) Well, my name is Maggie Slight. I go by the pronouns she, her, and also they, them. My website is Maggie Slight, M-A-G-G-I-E-S-L-I-G-H-T-E.com. And I am a writer. I'm a creator. I am a creator over on TikTok. (laughs) A, A few followers over there. How many do you have? Almost 20,000 followers on TikTok? Uh, 19.3. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. That's it's because really you cool. need to get on TikTok, Katie. Oh my gosh. I saw that you had one video that reached like a million views or likes. I had one that went viral and it was embarrassing that it went viral because as a neurodivergent person, one of my special interests is gardening. And We had an infestation problem at the apartment complex that rats had gotten into my garden and I saw video evidence of it and I just absolutely broke down. Yeah. So, yeah, Maggie crying over the garden went viral. Wow. Over a million views. That's cool. So Neurodivergent Granny is your name on TikTok. And then what else? (laughs) I am really concentrating at this point in time in finishing The Car That Ran on Prayers, which is the book that I talked about the last time that we met. Yes. The difference is I will be requerying for a literary agent, whereas before I was under the assumption I had one. So I saw your update on that, and I was hoping with all of my soul that you didn't just drop the book. I feel like that would be a big enough event that that would be a temptation. Yeah. The really cool part is, is that now that I'm separated from the person who was putting on the facade that they were my literary agent. I have separated myself from the changes that they wanted. I have more of myself in my book. (laughs) Yes. It's taking a lot of editing, a lot of editing, because right now I'm just going through and doing the initial edit of taking things out that don't belong in there. And then I get to go back through my journals and see what did I leave out because somebody told me not to put my medicine in there. Somebody told me not to put what kind of a magazine I was the lead writer of. (laughs) So while I was following all of this instruction, what did I leave out that was actually, I think, rather important? (laughs) Wow. It's going to be an entirely different book, but it's still going to be The Car That Ran a Purse. And it's still going to be 100% me. Since I'm no longer producing Strangers No More, I'm able to put more energy towards my book and into querying an agent. So that's where okay. all of my energy at this point. Is there any way we can help with that process? Well, I'm looking for literary agents who are taking new clients. Yeah. Okay. I have many, many books within me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. For those who also missed part one of the interview that we had with you, could you just list off some of your disabilities and neurodivergencies so people can know a little bit more about you? 
Physically, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I also have been diagnosed with ADHD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, OCD, yeah, so spicy neurodivergent, <laughs> also dissociative identity disorder, which I've listened a couple of times to our interview, which is really difficult for me, <laughs> but I, I, I've listened. And at the time of our interview, I did not consider dissociative identity disorder as a neurodivergence. Huh. I consider it growth to change one's opinion on things, as I've done a lot of things lately. <laughs> you learn, you grow. Yep. You change your opinion. That's what life is about. It's hard. It, it is especially difficult to be faced with, okay, I was wrong. And frankly, that's kind of what happened to me over the last five months is mm. that I was faced with some information that made me feel like, okay, maybe I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I did what I did eight and a half years ago. I took it to, to my creator. I got on my knees. I asked my questions and the answers that I got were different than they were eight and a half years ago. Yeah. When I said my prayer on September 9th, 2021, my answer was that I needed to leave the Mormon church, and I did. So let's jump in to all the changes that have gone on. Share more about the, your experience with that. Well, it's interesting because I did just as I was told. I isolated myself completely media-wise um, while I was a member of the church from the time before my baptism. But I, I have to go back before my baptism to really say where my shelf started to stack because my shelf started to stack before I was even cleared to be baptized. Wait, Maggie, we have some people who haven't heard that phrase before with like the shelf. Will you really quickly define that for people had, who don't know? <laughs> I had not heard that terminology either until after my shelf broke. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. But the term on the shelf is, is, is where we put those things that cause cognitive dissonance for us within the church. It's, it's like, okay, this doesn't feel right. I don't understand why we do that. This doesn't agree with something that I feel about God. All of those types of things go onto a shelf. And then we move on with our membership in the church. And we just put it aside. We stack it on this shelf. And then many post-Mormons will say, well, my shelf broke because there were too many things on my shelf. And I was an absolute <laughs> true believing Mormon, TBM, until I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I never even scooched a garment. I mean, that's... <laughs> I've never, I didn't, I bought things that were bigger. I didn't, I didn't. As I said in our previous show, I've been a, a stripper. I've been on the other side of morality, if you will. And when I got into the church, it was following an adulterous relationship that I had. Well, I had no religious upbringing and no way to process that feeling of I did something horribly shameful, horribly wrong that violated my code of ethics, but I don't know how to process it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the way I ended up processing it was becoming a member of a church that preaches a whole heck of a lot of shame. And I experienced that for about eight and a half years. <sighs> like I said, it started really before my baptism. And let me roll back to that. When I was asked the questions, the baptismal questions, before my baptism, I was taught by sisters. Then I was asked the questions by elders, a couple of young men that I had never met before that night. And they got to question four, which has four parts. I'll read those parts for our audience. Question number four starts out, have you ever committed a serious crime? It continues, if so, are you now on probation or parole? Further continues, have you ever participated in an abortion? And then it states, have you ever participated in a homosexual relationship? So since they're all part of the same question, my mind as a neurodiverse person who thinks of things very, very literal. Mm -hmm. So you're equating the relationships that I had with women and intersex people as serious crimes, like murder. When I didn't give the appropriate response to the question, that is, I didn't say, no, I haven't done any of those things. I said, well, no, I've never committed a crime and I'm not on probation or parole and I've actually never had an abortion or participated in one in any way, but I have had homosexual relationships. The boy across from me, I can't even call him a young man. (laughs) I looked like somebody had drained the blood out of his face. Like I had killed his mother. (laughs) (laughs) I had never experienced that level of horrific shame. Mm. as I did in that interview. Now, mind you, at that point in time, I was already feeling a good amount of shame about having been in this adulterous relationship that I had just gotten out of. It was a domestic violence situation. Turned out that we're both very neurodiverse people. We both had a meltdown and the cops got involved. Mm. Luckily, we're both still alive. On the back end of that, I was feeling awful. And so after that first interview, the two elders said, uh, you're going to have to have a white card interview, to which I went, oh, what? I don't know what that is. What is that? <laughs> well, it's a card or something that they send up to the mission president that says uh, this person needs to be interviewed by the mission president because they have not answered correctly to one of the questions the baptismal questions correctly being in quotes just want to say that for the transcript (laughs) yeah it's absolutely in quotes the week that i waited between the uh, questions with the elders and the questions with the mission president which were exactly the same questions except he made a point of asking me the mission president did Did I feel repentant about my homosexual relationships? In my mind, I mean, these are the mental gymnastics that I was playing. 
well, I feel really repentant about this adulterous relationship. Mm -hmm. I feel awful about that. But he's not asking me, have I committed adultery? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me, if, if, if I've ever been gay. Yeah. During that week between the interviews between the elders and the mission president, I had what I would term a psychotic break. At least one other altar was created during that time, if not two, mm -hmm. that allowed me to be able to deal with that level of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Wow. So that was back in 2013. The first thing that went on my shelf was before I was even baptized, knowing that, okay, this is part of you that you have to leave behind. Mm -hmm. You are not going to be accepted if you are queer and in this church. Yeah. They have told you. In 2019, when I came out, I was really having a difficulty managing that. Psychologically, I was going in and out of personalities that were literally at war with one another. And then as the producer of Strangers No More, I wasn't just a co-host. I was the producer. I was the energy behind the entire show. And I was doing all of the back-end work. And we had taken a break during the summer because I had a bunch of medical stuff that I was doing. We came back just as Elder Holland had his passage by you. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I did not ignore that because it literally tore the four of us apart. You mean in Strangers No More? Uh, yeah, because one of the hosts was saying one thing, completely ignoring all of the repercussions that the three other hosts were feeling. There was no way that I could continue to stack things on my shelf. Yeah. I mean, we're taught in the church that we have the responsibility to seek our personal revelation. But never are we taught to respect one another's personal revelations. Yeah. Never. That's a great point. That was something that was so lacking. And I was hearing hypocrisy everywhere I went. I was hearing one thing being said in private and other things being said in public. And as a person who's neurodiverse, I cannot manage that. Yeah. If everybody else wants to be hypocrites, that's fine. But I have to walk my talk because if I don't, there's somebody else going to come into my head that will walk or talk differently that will make it equal. Because we cannot have cognitive dissonance in this neurodiverse system. It doesn't work mm -hmm. for my brain. So on September 9th, 2021, I knelt down and I said a prayer and I asked if I should continue to be in the Mormon church. And I was told no, that I needed to leave. Beyond that, I removed my records on January 20th, 2022, because one of my altars had decided to create an ex-Mormon account on TikTok. And I decided that I didn't want to be associated with that and the church at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I just completely removed my record so that we don't have any question. I am no longer a member of the church. So 
when an alt makes a decision that affects your system and there are other alts that would have made a different decision, how is that something that you work through, Maggie? Well, a change in religion is a good example of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both when we were baptized and when we chose to leave the church and further when we chose to remove our records. All three of those decisions were decisions that involved the entire system. And like I said, when we were baptized, actually a new altar came into the system with that role of being baptized. I ended my membership in the church plus three altars. So three mm -hmm. different to manage the cognitive dissonance of the church. So, <laughs> three were fronting? No, three had to be created in order to manage the different cognitive dissonance. Oh. I'm not sure, Katie, if you know, but when altars are not fronting, that, that doesn't mean that they go away. They still exist within the system and within the brain. They're just in what's mm -hmm. called the headspace. And correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, Maggie. When Maggie says that the three were created, that doesn't mean that they were all present talking through the body at once. It just means that they now exist in the headspace. So. Because of the trauma of different things that happened in the church, three separate altars were created. One was Sister Maggie, one was Sarah, um, and the other one was Ellie. I see. We all consult on major changes, and we all consulted about leaving the church, except when we did leave the church. I, I, I know that anybody who listens to this after listening to our first interview is going to say, well, that doesn't even sound like the same person. I am a different altar that was fronting then, the person who was fronting back then, decided to remain back in the headspace right now because they're healing from the trauma of leaving the church. Mm -hmm. I'm a different altar than they were. So we manage things in order to manage the PTSD, the trauma, the ups and downs of being in a neurodivergent brain. It's been interesting because the only members of my family that were in the church were my grandchildren and their other grandmother. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have family in the church. I, I went outside my family to join the church. I didn't really develop that many friendships within the church. I was always an odd person out. <laughs> and that's yeah. one of the reasons that I produced Strangers No More is for other people that always felt like they were the odd people out. Yeah. I never quite fit to begin with. And so leaving the church is strangely more comfortable for me than I know it is for a lot of people. And I know that from being involved in ex-Mormon communities, yeah, where I actually feel more comfortable than I ever felt as a church member, strangely enough. The ex-Mormon community is, is uh, it's, their own things going on. <laughs> Both you and I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because you, I just have to put this plug in there really quick. A lot of things that are issues within the church do not magically go away when 
people leave the church, people take their homophobia with them. They take their uh, sexism with them. They take their racism with them. Just because their shelf broke doesn't mean that it broke in the right direction. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like uh, this is why I have an issue with a lot of people that are like, well, I just don't believe in the church because I proved it wrong historically, blah, 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 blah. To me, I'm like, if that's the only thing that you're worried about is the historicity, then you are, like, missing the whole point of so much of the trauma that the church has inflicted on marginalized people. I don't want to get into the business of, like, comparing trauma, but I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I'm glad that you feel at home, or at least more at peace, in the ex-Mormon community. But I'll just say that the ex-Mormon community is not perfect by any means either. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think any community is no, no, no. perfect by any means. I haven't even really found any close friends over there. It's just in my time of deconstruction, it's been helpful to have a community that understands deconstructing. True. Definitely. Just like it was helpful to have videos about adult autism in people assigned to female at birth Mm -hmm. on TikTok, it's been very helpful for me to have other people who are deconstructing their own Mormonisms. Yeah. What I found with social media as a disabled person, as a neurodivergent person, is that it's a way to have a community. It's a way to touch base with people and know that you're not alone. And no matter how isolated that we are, I just got my last or my second vaccine exactly a week ago today. And I've been isolating this entire time. Mm -hmm. I did want to talk a second about that COVID vaccine. So you were told by your doctor to not get it or to wait to receive it. And you just received it. Can you share a little bit more about what it means to you to now have the COVID vaccine? Sure. I am very, very pro-vax. A lot of the testing and stuff has been done up here in Washington by University of Washington. My own team of doctors are also members of University of Washington. So (laughs) I had been told by two or three of my doctors not to get it, to wait. And I had asked every single month, can I get it? Nope, we want to wait. Nope, we want to wait. My cardiologist gave me some advice as to what to take as a pre-med and that she had taken it and that it helps with preventing fevers. And then in January, I was told I was finally cleared and was told I could take it. And within two days of being told that I could take it, I had my appointment and had my first shot. Wow. Hooray. I mean, literally, they're, they're, talk- they're talking about the studies for the younger kids right now. And I have two grandchildren who We're all very anxious for those two to get vaccinated because it would actually mean being able to hug them one more time. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that you've seen both sides of it, having to wait and everything that goes with that and then finally getting it. Disabled people consistently are left out of the conversation with COVID vaccines. We're looked over even though COVID is making the disability community grow in a lot of different ways. And it makes it just so ironic that we're left out of the conversation in the mainstream 
Well, now we're on this side of the CDC's comments about the people that are dying are only the ones with four or more comorbidities to which the disabled community is going, excuse you? (laughs) Yeah. That's us. Yeah, like, we're here. And it's anyone. Like, people don't know. You know, people don't know, I mean, if they'll be a part of the disabled community, it's the only marginalized community that anyone can join at any time, at any moment in their lives. People don't realize that. Yeah, people don't realize that. It seems so far away, but it's not far away. And also, you can go your whole life without being diagnosed with things. And also, COVID doesn't just affect disabled people, like it's being portrayed like it does. Exactly. (sighs) Yeah, it's, a lot of that misinformation just makes it more and more difficult as a disabled person to deal with the eugenics ideas that a good percentage of the people have. I mean, the antithesis of, of ableism is eugenics, just yeah. all a part of the same spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see. I guess we already kind of talked about how DID impacts religious dysphoria and vice versa. Well, Uh, it it was very interesting because when I started fronting, we were still members of the church and I had been co-fronting. I had been fronting with Maggie for a good amount of the time. And then Maggie kind of disappeared. And I'm like, okay, so you left me holding the ball here. Okay, well, does that mean I have to do this and that and this? Or, you know, do I do I have to resign my membership in this church that you got us belonging to? Or, you know, what do I have to do? It's very odd to start presenting, start fronting in a body that is wearing garments, religious garments. I, I stopped wearing my religious garments September 9th mm-hmm. after that. Prayer. I'm the one that took them off. And I'm like, I think we need underwear and tank tops. And I literally put out a post on Facebook that said, uh, looking for tank tops. <laughs> yeah. Anybody got leads on cheap tank tops? <laughs> I think the next day I went over to Goodwill and got a bag of them. But, yeah. So, you know, you announce things in different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to ask really quick, do you want us to refer to you as Maggie throughout this interview or? No, I, the body refers to as is Maggie Slight. Okay. Um, <laughs> it actually, while, while we were waiting to get our surname back after our last divorce, I registered Maggie Slight as a business name. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Because... They they wouldn't give me my name back. Cheaper for me to register a business name than it is to get my copy of my notarized divorce thing from Arizona because they were refusing to send it to me, which they were supposed to do as part of the divorce. So I said, fine, I'll just register it as a business name. So I did. Oh, my God. That's so clever. I love it. Rebel Maggie returns. (laughs) Maggie Flight author is the business, too. It's maggieslight.com also. That's also an easy way for the DID system to understand being called by that name. That makes sense, yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great hack. 
Yes, it's a business. Oh, wow. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you didn't feel any dysphoria with us referring to as Maggie throughout the episode. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just curious if there's anything else, because I know you made a blog post about it that Katie's referring to, but is there anything else regarding the religious dysphoria and DID in your system that you want to mention? I'm curious how the whole system reacted to it, if you are comfortable sharing their reactions. No pressure if you don't want to. Well, the interesting part of it is, as a personality, I am more female-centric. So one of the first things that I wanted to do was to cut the cord. I performed a cord-cutting ceremony to cut the cord between the church and myself. Because in ceremonies, whether they be baptism and confirmation or temple ceremonies, we are routinely, as people who are assigned female at birth, giving our power assigning our power to other people. Mm. It's called priesthood power in the Mormon church, but I call it my magic. And I'll take that back now. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Nobody else needs to receive revelation for me. Nobody is entitled to that. That's my responsibility. That is my power. That is my magic. But like I said, I, I am much more female concentric and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is much more male-centric. And Mm -hmm. I was having a massive religious dysphoria one day a week as it was. And when we stepped away from the church, it was like, ah, finally. I I can stay in this body-positive, human-positive, life-positive space that I've been occupying those six days a week. I can do that seven days a week now. Mm. And... I don't have to feel external shame or feel a pressure to feel external shame from anybody because that's not my religion. Mm-hmm. It's been freeing, but it's taking a lot of processing, a lot of processing. What is the most helpful resource you found as you process this? My therapist has been on many sides of it. I'm very uniquely gifted to have a therapist who specializes in DID, but who she's actually a member of my ward, mm-hmm. but she has had her own time away from the church. Mm. So she went through a bit of a process herself because of what she's gone through. She's uniquely qualified to help me process a lot of this. And the ex Mormon community on TikTok has been absolutely glorious. It's been nice to be able to talk about things that only certain people understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's really the thing about having a community is having the inside jokes, is having the inside knowledge is like, like, uh uh-huh, that's it. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad you had that experience with your therapist. But on the same topic, though, about therapy, one of the things that made my shelf very, very, very heavy Mm -hmm. was my autism diagnosis because Mm -hmm. with my autism diagnosis came my OCD diagnosis and which also came my questions about, do I also have scrupulosity? Mm -hmm. And it very, very quickly became apparent that most of my practices within the Mormon church had to do with my scrupulosity. Mm. As I started 
understanding autism, obsessive compulsive disorder, and scrupulosity, I started making my show very heavy with deconstructing that I didn't realize I was doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until my shelf broke. Can you describe scrupulosity? Scrupulosity is OCD in a religious format. I mean, the Mormonism is perfect for scrupulosity. Oh, boy. You have a list of things that you have to do to get to heaven. Yeah. So unless you do that list of things, you're not going to get to the highest heaven. It's actually very, very clear-cut format. This is what you have to do. This is when you have to do it. With scrupulosity, it gets obsessive. The intrusive thoughts of, I'm going to go to hell if I don't pray before my meal. I'm going to go to hell if I put something in my mouth that I didn't pray over. If I don't magnify this calling, I'm going to hell. Mm -hmm. With having the religious garments worn constantly, day and night, the temple questions. Mm -hmm. It's just all of these things that are living over you on a constant basis. It's like having temple questions in your mind, you know, every day of your life. So the church or trying to live up to the standards of the church exacerbated your OCD symptoms in that sense? Absolutely. And it created a scrupulosity, whereas I was looking for an understanding of that feeling that I had that I'd let myself down about Mm -hmm. that that way relationship and nine years ago literally instead of working through that I got a whole ton of shame and scrupulous religious procedures to follow yeah it wasn't what I psychologically needed I mean we're looking at me post it's been almost nine years since my baptism but five of those years I have been in intensive therapy Mm. (laughs) so as I've healed my shelf got heavy Mm. that makes sense wow I I was gonna say it's funny how I feel like there's a side of church culture that you see on like Instagram and stuff the ones who are like very liberal like pro mental health like yay Elder Holland talked about mental health like We're not going to get into Elder Holland, but the ones who are very much like, let's talk pro mental health posts, right? And they, they talk about the culture of perfectionism. And I feel like this is what they're referring to and they just don't know it. They're like so close to understanding neurodivergence and neurodiversity and how the church is negatively impacting their mental health as someone who is probably neurodivergent but doesn't know it because I assume a lot of people in the church have scrupulosity and OCD and don't know it and it's exacerbating it, but they just call it perfectionism. And I'm like, there's so many better resources for it than just making a post about perfectionism. You know what I mean? Like that's a tragedy to me that it's not addressed in that way. As somebody who's stepped into different primary classes around the country, Mm -hmm. I was shocked to really notice how many children appear to be neurodiverse in a ratio-wise in primary versus public school. Mm. And I wonder, as a convert who was very easily converted 
because of my tendencies of OCD and scrupulosity, mm-hmm. I really wonder if the church hasn't exploited mm. many neurodiverse families by converting them and exploiting their OCD into scrupulosity. And then shaming them for it. You're trying to use this aspect of me that is different from what is normal and using it for your own benefit and then shaming me or leaving me behind and not accommodating me when it's no longer convenient. And I'm saying all of this and I'm being completely forward and honest, knowing that the patriarchy of the church that the true believing Mormons are going to be saying, oh, well, ignore her. She's mentally ill. Mm. I know I will be dismissed and I don't care. Yeah. Good. Yes. I have mental illnesses. I am neurodiverse, but I am a functioning 55 year old grandma and I'm a writer and I have a book that's almost ready for querying an agent. I am mm-hmm. a valuable person. Yeah. And you can't dismiss me by just saying that I'm mentally ill. I'm sorry, that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't, because let's look at the church membership. Like we've talked about before, it should be about 80 people per ward that are disabled or neurodiverse in some way. Well, we even said disabled, but neurodiversity isn't even... I don't even think it's including... I don't think those statistics that we were looking at before, I think they were mostly referring to physical disabilities and maybe chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they were as inclusive as we are when we say disabled, when we include neurodivergencies in that definition. So yeah. even more. Yeah. But it should be a large part of the word that has some kind of disability and neurodiversity. So we need to like stop Mm -hmm. shrugging off people with disabilities and neurodivergencies because we are a part of this community. Like we contribute and we're having these real experiences that are different than yours that need Mm -hmm. to be talked about and shared and put in the front because if we're truly a part of God's kingdom (laughs) and we're made in God's image as well, why are we so easy to shrug off? I'm heartbroken at the experiences that you've had. You talked about how long your healing has been, but I know that healing isn't easy. It's not like I'm taking a step back to heal. It's like you're in the mud when you're healing, you know? It's a lot that you've gone through and I'm so grateful that you're willing to talk about it. And I'm sure there's so many people that will connect with what you're saying, Maggie. I'm glad that I've had a chance to talk with you both again after these six months have gone by because it has been such an active six months for Mm -hmm. my life. (laughs) Ten years ago, I would have never thought I would have been a member of the Mormon church. And five years ago, I would have never thought I would leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's funny how things happen. Yeah. But I do believe when people talk about it as a crisis of faith, I don't resonate with that description. To Mm. me, as a continuing of my path of my life, that was part of my faith journey. It was no more a crisis than entering the church was a crisis. Mm. And it's like if you understood what I went through during that week of interviews, you would understand that that was as much of a crisis or more so than leaving. Yeah. That is interesting. In the Book of Mormon, it talks about Enos that had a wrestle with God when Enos was praying. 
But it's interesting how we call it a faith crisis and it's like a negative connotation, but part of a faith journey is wrestling and that's like an empowered way to view it. People put different connotations on it depending on your decision in the end, you know, like where the wrestle takes you without, like you said earlier, respecting people's personal revelation and their right to receive it and follow it depending on where God leads them. Exactly. And for me, it was the same small, still voice that told me to become a member that told me to leave the church. Yeah. I have an issue with anybody who questions that because to me, it's like, if you're questioning one, you're going to question the other. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's the same voice. It was the same voice that told me to do this. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly enough, I have not had a lot of feedback. I'm sure that I might be being talked about behind my back, but nobody is coming forth and doing it to my face. As much as I felt alone in the church, I've been very alone in leaving the church. The one person that's been very constant has been my ministering sister. I checked in with both her and my ministering brother before I, you know, removed my records and when I was going through my prayer and making the decisions to remove my garments. And they said, well, we'll definitely still be your friend. And she has actually been here. And <laughs> the last time she came by, she, she gave me Starbucks gift cards. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I, I even did a TikTok about that. This is like I, I'm keeping my Mormon friends that bring me Starbucks gift cards. <laughs> I love it. That's so sweet. Okay, can I just say when I left, so I say I left in like February, March ish of twenty twenty, because that's when I like knew that I had to stop because it was the BYU honor code LGBTQ switcheroo thing and that was very, very hard on me. But after I left, I was like, now I can drink coffee. And I was excited to try it. Can I just say, as an autistic person who grew up Mormon, it is so difficult to try and learn all these different freaking coffee flavors. I, <laughs> I would stand at the front of the Starbucks line for like 10 minutes being like, what is a macchiato? What is a grande? Why is that small if it means big in Spanish. Is mocha a flavor or a drink? What does this mean? What does this mean? I don't get it. And they're just like, uh, most of them were very gracious, but I could tell they're just kind of like, who is this person? What's wrong with them? <laughs> they're like, are you even from Washington? And you're like born and raised Washingtonian? <laughs> I was born and raised in Washington and I still, I hated coffee before I was Mormon. I hate coffee after I'm Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also narcoleptic. So like, yes, coffee's helpful. I love that. You need to write a screenplay about that, Serena. Oh, I could make a skit about it. Maybe I will. <laughs> See, if you make a skit, you can make a TikTok. Yes. I want to go back really quick to something that we talked about earlier. You talked about how when you decided to leave the church, you felt like kind of lonely in the church. And then when you decided to leave, it kind of solidified that fact. That's not the word you used, but like you left and people were still not really ministering to you. Is that right? Well, I'm connected to a few people on Facebook, but mm -hmm. other than those few people, I mean, I, I didn't have any interaction with anybody and that's fine with me, except for my, my ministering sister who comes by and gives me Starbucks cards. 
so I, I literally, the only people that even asked me why I left were my family and they were the ones that were confused as to why I had joined. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> they wouldn't have understood some of the intricacies, but I basically said, I don't feel that I can be my authentic self. I can't yep. be a queer neurodiverse person and date women and date other people without inflicting trauma on them. Yeah. If I'm a member of a church and I'm dating at the same time, and if the people who I'm dating are members of the church, that's a whole different thing. But if they're not members of the church, then am I inflicting more trauma Mm -hmm. on them? Yep. Yep. That's not something I ever want to do. Yeah. I finally realized why I had a block up for dating. It's just like I, I wasn't interested in bringing anybody into this active trauma environment. Yeah. And now that I've that stepped sense. away from that, it's like, yep, I'm actively excited about what's coming down the line. <laughs> I become the person that I know that I'm meant to be. It'll be interesting to find out who winds up at my side. I think what you said is so true. And you put into words something that I felt a lot, but haven't verbalized. Recently, I was talking with someone that I've been involved with who is queer, and they told me a little bit more about their identity and they said something like oh yeah I know you might not be used to this since you grew up Mormon blah 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 and I said yeah and not only was I not used to it but I was actively against it I made homophobic and transphobic Facebook posts when I was in high school when I was in early college and again this is like what seven years ago anyway they were like I I need a little bit of space to take that in because I know you're not like that anymore and you've consistently proven how much you care about me and I trust that you're not like that anymore but I still feel like kind of punched in the gut even afterwards I realized I'm gonna spend my whole life repenting for that in a non-religious way and I care about them and I don't want like you said I don't want to inflict trauma upon them some people may decide that it's not even worth being involved with someone who was Mormon because perhaps there might be a risk of internalized homophobia and internalized transphobia. And like, I have to hand it to them. Like, that's a very real possibility. And I care about them too much to just say, no, you must date me anyway. You know, I'm not going to do that to them or date or be involved or whatever, whatever queer platonic relationship anarchy word you want to put in there. But yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like, yeah, that's very true. And um, I experienced that very recently. So I also want to say it's uh, like it's church culture showing their cards that someone can leave the church and then just be like totally ignored by the membership. Like Mm -hmm. if we're really teaching that every soul is precious and everyone is made in the image of God. Not a lot would change if someone left the church. Relationships would still be there. People would still be ministering to each other because that's like part of what a relationship is. And it's definitely, I've learned more that I used to think that I thought more objectively than I do because a lot of things are subjective based on your experiences. But I feel like it's honestly an objective thing to say like that we're not following what we teach according to how we view how precious the soul is. When someone can leave the church and then just be totally ignored. And I'm I'm sorry that that was your experience. I'm sorry to say that that also doesn't super surprise me. And I hope that that is a big thing that changes and it's something that the church also needs to account for. I'm actually pretty okay with it. Yeah. I was okay with the level of contact that I had and that I have now. 
it's a neurodivergent thing. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have very few really close friends and most of them were never in the church. Yeah. Okay. Similarly, like I don't feel like a lot of people really reached out, but that's not a bad thing because I'd rather them not reach out because that's, again, that's consistent with their behavior and what I think of them than them try to reach out simply for the purpose of like, oh, I got to save you, you know, which is the way I was. I was like that, you know, like, please don't reach out to me just because you want to like fucking save me. Like I can save myself. Thank you very much. And actually, I don't believe any human needs to be saved. And I think that's a really like dangerous concept. And if you want to, we can get into a discussion about depravity, but I don't think you really want that because I will bulldoze you. So no, I'd rather them just not talk to me about that and save us all energy but I mean like yeah I have friends like obviously Katie you're still my friend and you're still a member of the church and I have a couple of other friends but like other than that I don't want people to just reach out does that make sense like I get what you're saying Katie and I can see that there I agree that there's a tragedy that someone can leave the church and no one notice but at the same time I'd rather them not say anything than say something fake if that makes sense yeah Well, for me, I don't feel that that was sad. I think that the sad part was how few people reached out while I was a member. Yeah. Yeah. So few people (laughs) actually cared whether I lived or died during the COVID thing. I had to push and push for a ministering brother to be assigned that actually cared whether I lived or died. And after years of pushing, I finally did end up assigned a ministering brother that I absolutely adore. For this last year that I was a member, they were very involved. Mm. But as a neurodiverse person, I also am a very much loner. Yeah. I like being alone. I like the fact that my faith journey is very self-directed. It's like my relationship with my creator is mine alone. Agreed. Yeah. What is the main thing that you want people who are perhaps listen to the last interview to glean from this interview? What is your message for them? I believe it is our responsibility to continue learning. Change and growth is important. Why else would we be here except to learn? I think if we stop learning and we stop changing, we stop growing and we stop living. Yes change and growth can grow in multiple directions and it doesn't have to just be in the same path and direction that church members are going or another random person is going. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. Thank you. And that concludes our interview. You can follow us on Instagram at holyhuman.w-h-o-l-y-h-u-m-a-n and on Facebook at facebook.com slash holyhumanpodcast. Please reach out to us via email if you'd like to be involved. That's holyhumanpodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more interviewees who are disabled or neurodivergent and have at one point been involved with the Mormon or Christian faiths. We'd love to hear from you. We also want to thank Dialogue for the inclusion of our podcast in the Dialogue Podcast Network. Thank you to Maggie for this second interview today. We really appreciate the time and energy that you've spent in meeting with us. Mativ for our intro and outro music. And of course, our loyal listeners and readers. We will be back with another episode of Holy Human in just a few weeks.